2: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast with me, Russell Guyver, with my co-host as always, Peter Marsh. Hello, Peter. Hey, Russ. How you doing? Good. Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, just back from Italy. Good trip. Missed the Spurs game though, But you were there. We'll get um, more details on that coming up soon. And also um, welcoming a guy I've known for quite a while, but it's his first time coming on the podcast, um, a debutante in the shape of Tom Highlands. How you doing, Tom? I'm good, thank
1: you. How are you doing? It's
2: been a while coming. It has. We kept saying we were going to do this, and it's been been quite some time. And I've just noticed, actually, uh, literally about ten minutes before I fired up this Zoom call, um, that uh, you've just recently been on the Albion Raw. So let's <laughs> get yeah. back in again before I've got you on. Yes, uh, a <laughs> girlfriends old friends' adio now. Um, but yeah, I mean, why why not? It's great to get you back, uh, or great to get you on here as well. Um, to tell us really about all your uh, your backstory and all the rest of it, and we're also going to talk about various other things as well. But yeah, let's start with um with your Albion um, history. Where, where did it all begin, Tom?
1: So it's um actually with the Scouts uh, weirdly. So um, when I was ten in the Scouts, um, our Scout leader massive Brighton fan, and uh, there was always that Friday night Christmas game uh, at Withdean, and. Every year, without fail, we'd go to that game because Scouts was on a Friday and he wasn't going to miss that game. So he took us all along with him. Um, So I think the first game was, um, oh, it was um, Chesterfield. The season after um, all of that, that cheating uh, malarkey. So quite a heated game. I think there was a red card, a few goals. um, And that was my introduction to uh, the Albion. And then from there, you know, go in every every year, maybe a couple of times a year with the scouts. And then it wasn't until I was at university that I really started going to games properly. So coming from a rugby family, I'd always been playing rugby, refereeing rugby, and weekends were kind of dedicated to to rugby. I I found myself, though, injured out for a season, so I had an option. I either got a season ticket at Harlequins or a season ticket at the Albion. And the thing that swung it was the, uh, the travel was included to the Albion. So there was my, like, I think it was £119 or something for a student back then paid that. And, uh, that was my first season ticket, uh, to, to the Wivding. And from there, I've just not stopped going. I've, I've suddenly realized that having a few beers and watching game is probably more enjoyable than running around and getting hurt for 80 minutes on a Saturday. So, uh, so that's kind of where, where I really got involved. Um, from there, started going away, uh, probably the, the League One winning season. Uh, so back in, uh, was it 2010, 2011? Started going to away games properly. Uh, then uh, what a season to to start doing that. Um, and then through a mixture of um, the away games and pre-season tours to Geneva, to Spain, um basically found kind of an Albion family as it were so uh, there's a big group of us now that go to games that uh, really good mates with and that's kind of what football is for me it's that chance to go and see people um once a week have a few beers have a chat and ine- inevitably the uh, the middle part of the 90 minutes has the uh, the chance to ruin the day but <laughs>
2: <laughs> which often uh, obliges as well yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, we keep hearing this over and over again. This sort of this this point that you know it is about the social, isn't it? It's not just the football. Yeah, we can appreciate it, especially at the moment when we have an all time high in terms of um, positions in the table and, and quality of football. But. In general, regardless of that, <laughs> and it usually does ruin it more than more than not. Um, it is great to get together to form friendship, friendships, expand friendships into you know other social groups as well, and um, and just getting chatting with random strangers, which what I did with you. Uh, you mentioned pre season friendlies. I think that's when we first got chatting when we we're in the West Lower, and I think you were sitting. Directly in front of us, and you, you were accusing us of being chatterboxes, but I can't believe that was possibly the case. I can't even remember who I was with, actually. but um, We probably were chatting away too much because I do seem to do that quite often. Um, and um, yeah, we got chatting, didn't we? Um, talking about the Albion and you've got the new kit. I can't remember the details of the conversation, but yeah, uh, that was a good few years ago now. Was it Via Real?
1: I, I can't
2: remember. I now. think it might have been
1: before that. I just hope it wasn't my uh, my Elvis Manu kit that I bought once. <laughs> um, that was a mistake.
0: <laughs> oh, God. you didn't um, spend as much as Albion spent on Elvis Manu anyway.
1: Yeah, well, the shirts aren't exactly cheap, though.
0: <laughs> nor nor <Yeah>. was Manu.
1: <laughs> and, and neither of us got any value from it.
2: Absolutely, yeah. It really was. That was a disastrous sh- signing, wasn't it? It might well have been that shirt. So I can't remember. If I, <laughs> if it was, I'd blanked it out of my mind. Back
0: in the day when £2 million was actually quite a big signing for us, rather than a kind of like reserve team player He's probably never going to be seen again.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, so, Tom, where about, so in terms of location, where, where were you living, where were you brought up as well? Was you, were you a Brightonian yourself? or um,
1: Yeah, so um been in Burgess Hill all my life. Um, oh, yeah. So, uh, born in Sussex, lived in Sussex all my life. So, um, my, my brother would try and tell you otherwise and say there was a period of time where there was a Man United shirt worn, but that was forced on me from from my dad when I when I was young enough that I didn't have the choice
2: um but really hang it's only on, Albion for me hang on is this why you had Elvis Manu on the back of your shirt is it, was no. it subconscious are you sure you weren't uh... <laughs> oh, I, I thought he was going to be the the next best thing um uh, <laughs>
1: so, although it yep. turns out that he was more like Man United in, in more that ways than uh,
2: than <laughs> than it seemed at the time yeah, oh, indeed, they went downhill fast as well, didn't they? As as did Elvis. But um, yeah. Oh, so yes, yeah. so a Burgess Hill boy, born and bred, and still live in that area. Yeah. So still in Burgess Hill. Um. So nice and easy to get to and
1: from games. Um. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, I think just pretty much
2: anywhere in Sussex is a good good place to live, really. Yeah, exactly. Especially when there's a train strike on, which um, which is not the reason I didn't make it down to the game on uh, Saturday, which we'll talk about a bit later on. But um, uh, that's because I was away on holiday. But um, uh, so many people probably weren't able to get to that match. There's a load of stuff to talk about in relation to that. And we'll, we'll get on to that in a minute. But um, just carrying on with the theme of you and the Albion, Tom, Um, in terms of favourite memories, favourite players, cult hero moments, uh, most amusing, not very favourite moments. (laughs) Yeah, What what stands out for you? Um, So the first player
1: that I kind of really remember properly and the the first player that kind of resonated with was probably Richard Carpenter.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, So um, he's the one that stood out from those days of going with the scouts. And I think it was just, you know, his, his ability from free kicks and dead balls he, he had that ability to just create something out of nothing. And in those days, that's pretty much what we relied on um, because we weren't exactly uh, being uh, prolific, especially when we we're in the, the championship. Uh, and uh, but in terms of moments, I think, I think that. Opening day of the Premier League, walking out, that was quite um, emotional. I I would have said the Wigan game, but I was on a glacier in Iceland. um, So that's probably the low point was missing the the promotion game. Um, But I was listening to BBC Sussex on the middle of a glacier in Iceland. Um, I had two friends that have no interest in football. Uh, they were with me. They didn't quite get it. I had my Albion flag stuffed in my pocket and uh, at full time got got that flag out, had it up and had a photo on the, the glacier and then inflicted the uh, Huddersfield game uh, on the radio uh, to my two friends as well. And uh, when that game finished and I had some tears running down my eyes, uh, they were literally looking at me going, what on earth are you doing? What's up with your life? But um, it was still such an incredible moment, uh, even though I wasn't, wasn't there, um, but was able to make up for it at, at Norwich. I don't particularly remember the game um, because the the celebrations on the trade up to Norwich were probably partially to do. And I think I, I remember that game we got given vouchers for a free drink in the stand and after a bottle of champagne and a few beers beforehand, it was the last thing I needed. But I was like, ponies bought it. We need to make sure we use It'd be it. not
0: to do would isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. I think that's probably the yeah. most drunk I've been at a football match that Norwich game. It was not a good idea it being Friday night as well. That was a bad idea. I think I had to put half halfway off work and was pretty drunk before the game. And definitely by the time I got to bed, I was <laughs> barely stand, I think.
1: I, I, do, um, I do know that um, that that day was also... um hilarious because we we went back to the pub afterwards because we were staying up there because you you had to Um, and the bouncer came over and was like it's coming up to like half 11 at night we need you to be be quiet Um, so we started silent chanting so everyone's jumping around this uh, pub chanting songs but without any words actually coming out of their mouth and uh, that was hilarious and then midnight comes and Norwich is great for an away day because Midnight, you can walk up the high street and go into a curry house. So midnight, with suddenly they're having a curry, and I mean it was
2: just another great, great away day or away weekend, really. Yeah, it certainly was, and uh, yeah, shame about the results, but um, but it didn't matter, did it? It didn't really matter because we've already got promoted. It was just a matter of whether we could get over the line with that title.
0: We did get and- to see our team lose two 0 without having a- conceding a shot on target, though, which not many
2: people can say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he was on a hat trick, wasn't he? Um, Girls, stockers. So close, so close. Never mind.
1: <laughs> Next well, time. talking of players being on hat tricks, another moment that I think for me is, is uh, up there as a disappointment is when we played Liverpool in the FA Cup and Liam Bridcut scored two own goals. Yeah. And then Stephen Gerrard stepped up and took the penalty. I'm still aggrieved that they did not give it to Bridcut <laughs> because he was on a hat trick.
2: <laughs> that could have been quite funny, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, happy days indeed. That that story about Iceland, um, and we're speaking on the eve of you going to Iceland. So clearly, yeah. you like the place. Um, I don't know if that was your first visit the previous time, but um, happy memory has got to be quite a unique and special way to to celebrate it. If you can't be at the game, absolutely.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, it, it, it was. It was a long booked trip. Mm. Um, so I had no say in it. Otherwise, uh, uh, probably would have uh, gone to the game if it was just me. But that that weekend, I, I forced my friends to watch the Wolves game in a pub in Reykjavik, and then forced them to listen to the games um, on on the Monday as well. So it was uh, all round a, a good weekend. But yeah, so I, I, Iceland is always good to miss a game of football. So we'll probably win on Friday as well.
2: Right? Yeah. Yeah. Good news. yeah so beautiful country recommend anyone goes if they haven't um yeah so that's that's good on the on the story the background um and um Brings us up to date. Now, Tom, last time I keep bumping into your it games, it's almost tended to a running joke, the amount of times I've seen you since that friendly. Um, most recently, it wasn't at the game, but it was just afterwards, um, was the Leicester match just a few weeks ago in the evening star post-match where we had a goal chat. And little do we know that shit loads were going to happen by the time I we'll get you on this pod, what, four weeks later or whatever it is. Or five weeks later um, obviously Grand Potter's gone we've got the new guy in amazing start albeit the result wasn't uh, it wasn't as good as it might possibly have been against Liverpool but then we bounced back from that um, you know off the walls and then we, we get the Spurs game and it's a bit of a letdown on the scoreline and some people moaning actually about the performance I didn't really have the, the issues that some people have with the game and we'll get into that now but um, you and Peter were both at the match um, just a general overview, what do you make of the, of the game and what have you made of De so far across the two matches?
1: Um, I think, for me, the, the Spurs game is one that you just consign to the history books and move on and don't don't give too much thought to it. It's not going to define our season. Um, the performance was still there. It's it's been, always been a struggle, us uh, breaking down teams that, that sit back and let us attack onto them. Um, so I, I don't think we can read too much into it. Um, and ultimately, the still fighting his feet. I think what we did at Liverpool, that first 25 minutes, is probably up there with the best 25 minutes of football I've ever seen, the Albion play. Um, so you can't have that one week and then be upset the next when you have a Champions League team come in and setting up to just stop you. I mean, that's a bit of a compliment in itself.
2: (laughs) Certainly is. Um, And actually, a complete contrast, ironically, wasn't it, that we started pretty slowly in that Spurs game for about the same period of time as that period of ecstasy at Liverpool, you could call it, that you just described. Um, It's going to be like that, isn't it, with him, with with Zerbi? It's going to be uh, lots of flamboyant um, changes and differences in performance and results and goal goal line, uh, goals, Scoreline, sorry. Um, I think as it goes along, um, this game. I mean, it was unchanged, I think, wasn't it? The uh, the team, um, which makes sense. You can't really drop people. <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't say unless there's a reason to need to do so. Um, so I think the lineup was was probably the right one to go with, as such. But um, Roberto was sort of like admitting that he wasn't really. He made a mistake with his anticipation of the game, he he thought that Spurs would set up with 3-4-2-1. He did set up with a 3-5-2 to counteract us and to flood the midfield. And, you know, particularly in those early stages, that that certainly is how it, it, it worked out. And he was able to get a grip on the game by doing that, Conti, uh, as you said, in the, in the Italian derby, <laughs> Italian managers derby anyway. Um, and, yeah, disappointing. And I think ultimately for me, we lost the game in that period because they got their noses in front, ironically, towards the end of the period of uh, of dominance. And then um, and it was Peter's best mate, Kane. He must be so delighted to lose to a winner from Kane, Peter. But um, yeah, I mean, that's we, we, we've struggled to get back into the game because Spurs were a very good team. As you said, they're a Champions League team that were selling themselves up to stop us. They had that strength in midfield and they were very, very good in defence. And the notion of oh, always wanting to pass more... Going back to kind of previous times, uh, well, we kind of had to really because it was either that or have a shot that's going to get blocked, um, it seemed to me. And we really struggled because we put ourselves in that position of needing to chase the game. Spurs could then sit and play on the counter, um, which plays into their hands, doesn't it? But I don't know. Peter, um, apart from your delight at seeing Kane score the winner, um, how was it all for you? (laughs) Yeah, it was a
0: a bit of a nothing match, really. Nothing... Not much happened in all honesty. You know, Sanchez didn't make any particularly great saves, nor did um, nor did Lloris. It was, you know, there was a lot of shots, but nothing. I never really felt that we looked like we were going to score. Um, the nearest we, I think, we got was probably March's shot which was just why, when the keeper was completely run footed and would have definitely gone in if it had crept in the corner. Um, but yeah, we just. I think there was an extra touch a lot of the time, and whereas the kind of players like someone like March, for example, where we would, I was told or it sounded like he basically had a real go at players very quickly on, at Liverpool, he kind of thought, you know kind of took time on the ball and allowed players to get back. And quite often when we broke through their line, they, we then played too too slowly, which is not the way to Derby. I think wants to play to so then to then really take advantage of the space that we had. We kind of let them get back, and they were quite good at getting back from there. It obviously is flattering at Spurs. Played out. I, I'm surprised they did, to be honest, because they were a better team for 25 minutes when they were playing just like kind of open football. And if they carried on playing the way they were, I think probably they could have won by more. It was, you know, generally quite, quite yeah, it wasn't the best way of playing. There was, I think where certainly me and a few a few other people were at one side and other people had the other side, was just Deservey's comments after the game where he said, we were fantastic. And I... Felt that that wasn't the case. Whether that got lost in translation or there was or he didn't quite mean fantastic. I thought we weren't terrible. I'm not having a go. I'm not criticizing the team. And if he'd not said fantastic, I probably wouldn't have commented either way. But we definitely weren't fantastic in my view. That was you know we we were a better team because for that part of the game because Spurs sat back and defended and gave us the ball and because they didn't think we could break them down. They were right, but we were in no way fantastic. Too many players had an off game. I think. Conte, as, he, as, as to be fair, deservedly admitted, he got it right with the starting team and playing the extra man in midfield where our goals would come from. Too many players like Casado. I wondered if he was, if he was still ill or was it injured or if he was during a week because he he struggled a bit, didn't have his best game. Trossard didn't really get into it. Welbeck didn't get great service, but when he did, the ball bounced off in quite a lot. So mm. it, it just felt like too many of our players had slightly off days, and when you're playing someone like Tottenham, you've got to be all, all all be on it basically, and yeah, they mm.
2: weren't. Um, would you go along with that, Tom? Because I mean, watching. I was, I was watching on a dodgy stream in Italy and I, it's, it's a little bit hard to kind of follow the flow a bit because it kept throwing us back in time a moment or two. I think we were about 15 minutes behind the game by the time they finished doing that. Um, but it was it was a bit interruptive. But to me, I didn't get the impression that there that, that was a huge amount wrong, apart from that first period, which got us into the situation of changing the game. But I, I felt... Yeah, there was going to be some stray passes, some giveaways, some dispossessions, all that sort of thing. But I didn't really feel as if we played badly. I, I, I I'm Fantastic is obviously a bit over the top, but maybe that's just flamboyant Italian exaggeration or he wants to pick the players up to keep the confidence up. I don't know. Or, as Peter said, lost in translation. But uh, what, what did you make of it overall? I, I think um,
1: the, the, the big difference between the Liverpool game and, and the Spurs game was... When we attacked against Liverpool, we had forty meters behind them to run into, and we were able to attack with pace and exploit that. Spurs didn't afford us that that time or that that space with the the ball, so we couldn't inject that pace into the game, which is where I think you know we we do best: um, quick passes, uh, flicks on, um, and getting in behind the line, and, and we just couldn't do that because they they were so solid. I agree, the first half especially, we were overrunning midfield um, and that, that showed and we struggled to kind of overcome that. But the second half, when they started making subs, um, they took off um, a central midfielder and went to, I think, the expected formation that Deserby was, was expecting from them. And at that point, we we were the only team that was ever likely to do something but it was it was more like uh, the start of last season where we just struggled to break down the team we couldn't find an answer to create that space or that chance and I think you know it, it was played well in two-thirds of the pitch and then just couldn't find the answers in that that final third which which is kind of the Albion way of uh, of a year or so ago um, mm-hmm. but I think you know that's that's probably what Deserbi needs to work out, and hopefully um, is what he can bring as a more attack-minded coach. Because you know a week ago the incision and the speed was unlike anything we had seen um, under unreal, wasn't under, it? Um, and we need to find a way to to do that and to to present those opportunities in the middle of uh, of of the box, not around the 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 wings, I suppose. Yeah. It has
0: to be said also, I suppose, that most teams who come and sit deep against us aren't as good at it as the Tottenham are. I yeah. mean, they are. You know, it's very unusual for a top six team to sit that deep for an hour of the game, basically, as someone like us. Mm. And I was, yeah, I was quite surprised how deep they sat, how much they let us control them in the midfield at times in the second half. Um, and yeah, I was quite surprised, but maybe maybe that was an attempt to try and break that when they brought Richarlison on for mm. Um But then they did then go and bring on. Perisic for, for Son who's a bit more defensive as well so they they kind of then kind of went backwards again so
2: well we my dodgy stream they made that same substitution twice <laughs> it chucked me back a minute or two and oh, should be, they
0: should be banned from the league then and give the points to us <laughs> Harry it's Kane kids kids should be banned from football for 50 years
2: <laughs> um the thing about the breaking down you're right I mean uh, for a top side one of the top sides to sit in that deep it's going to be harder yes because they're better players in in numbers um uh, but again when you look at the stats 59% possession liverpool had 54% i think it was last week and they i think yeah. that's right so again and it's, it's fun- not
0: just it's not just 59% possession it's also given i had the first 20 minutes or so they must have had quite a lot of it as well so the the remaining yeah. 65 after we they scored yeah we must have had a lot might like more than 59 sort of thing
2: yeah. yeah and uh i mean over total shots 14 to their eight and four shots on target to their three so obviously our ratio of Getting shots on target wasn't as good, but we did get more of them on there. Um, But it was just a little bit frustrating. And and block shots is the other one. Five block shots to their one. So again, going back to this thing of the compressed space, it is difficult to break those teams down. It's it's not easy to get an answer to it, really, is there? I mean, I I think to a certain degree, Graham Potter could sometimes do that with his teams. Roberto Dezerbi will be the same with some teams. The the games coming up will be probably a much better measure of him, not only because he would have more longevity and he would, they would have started to understand more and more about what he wants to do in the next few games, but also, of course, are games that aren't against Tottenham and Liverpool. You know, you've got Forest, we've got Brentford, those, those sort of games, I know, I know we've got City after that, but those next two games are going to be important. I think we need to get four points from them um, to start with. I do think we, I feel more confident that if we can get somewhere back to the way we played against Liverpool in terms of the snappiness and the, the rapidity of the passing and the movement and transitions across the field. If we can get back to that against Nottingham Forest and Brentford, I do think we'll be able to get in behind them, even though they might sit on us, uh, sit, sit deep on us, um, because they're not as good as Spurs um, in that, in that regard. Peter.
0: I was going to say, I don't, I'm not even sure Potter worked out the, the coming from behind bit during, barring the West Ham game, even in that really good run, I don't think we all came from behind except West Ham at home.
2: Well, we yeah, have And arguably
0: they were, you know, basically they played so many games, they looked shattered second half. Mm. And I mean, I don't think many of his wins. Last season, I can only think of Burnley away and West Ham home that we came from behind to win. There aren't many. We came from behind to draw a lot, in fairness, Mm. nicking late goals, but we didn't come from behind to win very often. So it's been something we've struggled with almost at the whole Premier League time. We've been in Premier League. Once teams go ahead against us, we do struggle to break them down.
2: Mm. I think... Um, yeah, if you look at the Leicester game, for example, you just mentioned earlier... Uh, yeah,
0: Leicester, of course. Yeah, I forgot that
2: it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they, they're they leaky as hell in terms of uh, yeah. their defence. So they were a team, even though they came at us, they're quite good going forward. They got in front. And we were able to come from behind and, and take the lead in that game, yes. But then we gave another goal away, but then we carried on scoring. I don't think Leicester are a very good team defensively, simple as that. <laughs> That's the they definitely problem. weren't that day. <laughs> no, certainly not. And against Spurs the week after. But... um. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it develops over time because he's coming up against different opposition. He's going to approach it with certain different nuances and tactics within his overall framework, isn't he? Um, Also, it's going to be interesting to see where the schedule starts to get more compressed, which is the one thing that... Hasn't been the case for us, certainly hasn't with all those weeks we had off, um, but it's going to become so just before and then obviously again after the World Cup, mm. because we've got uh, Brentford on Friday, which we'll preview a little bit later on, um, which is quite an advantage, I think, because it gives us the extra day before we face Forest and it is a fairly local away game, so we're not going to really lose much by... Uh, the the travel back time a a day earlier Um, and then we got Forest on Tuesday and then we got a game on Sunday which is against City so it's the first time we've we've had this midweek fixture to deal with since Deserby's been in charge obviously because he only just started Um, we're playing a high energy style aren't we Tom and do you think we're going to find it difficult to uh, to keep that intensity up and play the Liverpool style game that we did when we're getting more uh, more well Density of fixtures.
1: I don't know. I think um, there was a, a stat that said that we've used the fewest players of any team in the, the league so far. So we've got consistency in that. But in terms of the the kind of regular games, it also means there's a lot of players that are quite fresh um, as well. And I think that's one of our strengths, um, especially in that kind of mini section of the league that we're in. I think we have good replacements on the bench and um, in our squad that can come in and offer a, a similar amount of qu- uh, quality in a lot of the, the positions that will we'll need it. Um, mm. So I think that's kind of a positive. I think one thing that we'll find out is maybe the flexibility of De in the way he plays, because we know mm. that Potter had three or four variations of his formation and his tactics that he could deploy each game. And actually, I think that that's something that's going to be tested um, over the next few weeks with the, the the different opposition that we have. And I think that's something that's probably a question mark um, that that has to be asked. And I think, you know, from what we've seen, it's positive uh, so far from what you've seen with with his other teams. I think he has that. Um, but it's just going to take time to, to get used to the squad. And I think he needs to grow to, to trust the squad to be able to use them and, and and utilise
2: that. Yeah, I was just going to use the word utilisation of the squad there. Um, because I think there's a few conundrums that are looming in their head here at the moment, aren't there? We've got Mitomo who's been pretty much brilliant whenever we've seen him play. I think probably the biggest letdown was he was just only good against Forest Green Rovers. But he's been been very, very good in all the other appearances, but he's only come on as a sub. So there might be a question mark about whether he can do a whole 90 at that intensity of Premier League level, I don't know. But at some point, he's got to be given a chance to do that in order to make that match fitness, match sharpness. And the question would then be who would drop out? Could it be someone like Solly, who maybe either just because... He might just go off the boil, or might need a rest. Um, might that be a way that you could get him into the team? Possibly, you then play a different formation slightly. Um, would that work, possibly? Because Solly has been one of the players who's who's looking like he can, might develop under Deserby, from what we're seeing and hearing. There was an interview on Unlimited um, podcast this week with uh, Solly as well, uh, which was sorry last week, which was interesting. Um, you know, he's certainly enjoying it there. And I think he's playing his best football in those early stages of this season in general, um, and not not least with Roberto Di Zerbi. That could be one way we could fit him in. Do you change anything with a double pivot? Um, do you play... I mean, he's played with back four and a back three. Interestingly, um, he, he didn't start with a four, did he, in this game uh, as such? He had the mainly the three with the wing-backs again. Um, but he, he was successful against Liverpool with essentially... A version of four, isn't it? Really, there. If you're playing with four at the back, maybe in that scenario, um you change things up, and that might suit Mitamura more. I'm not sure. It's different. That's one of a number of conundrums, isn't it? To balance up and getting people like Undav involved, if <laughs> if he fancies him uh, as a, as, a, as a as an option off the bench or as a replacement in the game. I guess he'll play against Arsenal in the League Cup match, but, you know, we need to have those replacements ready in case they're needed as well, don't we?
1: Yeah, and I think um, the the joy is that so many players can play so many different positions. That's one thing that we've learned over the last uh, year or so. I mean, Solly March came to us as a winger. He's found his feet playing wing-back. He's played full-back. Trossard has played across uh, those positions as well. Pascal Gross um, as another example. And, and I think Gross is possibly one of the players that maybe if, if we do start playing at a faster tempo, does he potentially get lost in it? I mean, I love Pascal and what he brings to the team, especially in terms of his delivery and his set piece is, is uh, phenomenal. Um, and I think you'd miss that kind of solid nature uh, just behind the the, the front uh, two or three, depending how we're playing. Um, but is there an opportunity there um, as well for someone like Matoma? But I think Matoma's been phenomenal um, when he's been coming on. Um, and you, you can't argue against him deserving a start. Um, and I think he just needs to, to take that opportunity. I, I remember a few seasons ago when Trossard was starting to come into the team and he had come on as a sub, exactly the same questions were asked of him saying, you know, he's doing well as a sub, but can he uh, can he deliver it over 90 minutes? And I think the uh, the answer with hindsight and a couple of years on is a emphatic, yes, he can, and he does it for the best international team in the world as well. So it, we're, we're, we're very fortunate with the squad that we've got at the moment.
2: And Peter, would you go along with that? G- Pascal Grosch, could he be a victim of, not so much a, a cull of any sort, but just in terms of, the 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 subtle differences in the way we're set up and in some of the ways we might play slightly differently, do you think people like Pascal could uh, could kind of fall victim for a while, isn't that?
0: Yeah, I mean inevitably there's gonna be people who benefit from the new manager and some who lose out. And you know, someone like Lamptey and Mitomo both very quick might be ones who who come in and yeah, I mean if if you're talking about attacking with pace, it's much like yeah, yeah. Uh, as Tom says, much like, we all love Pascal, he's been brilliant for us. Maybe he's one who, you, it's hard to see McAllister or Casado dropping out at any point soon, except one of them getting sold. So, hard to see Trossard dropping out. I wonder the other one as well at some point, it might be Welbeck. I mean, he's been brilliant this season, but how long can you carry on having a striker who has not scored a goal all season? <laughs> um, I, it, I, it, I would
1: argue against that though, because I don't think he's in the squad to score goals necessarily and i think his um his ability to bring other players into those attacking positions creates more goals uh, through that than what he could expect to score so i think his kind of net contribution probably balances out and i don't think we have anyone else in the squad that can quite play that position um or or create the chances that he can create so yes a few goals would be nice and he should have scored at liverpool with that header but um, I think his his kind of contribution to goals is is probably more valuable to have him in the team for than than to lose him.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, I'm wondering more maybe if if they try and sign someone in January. That's what I, I meant more. Yeah, I agree at the moment, and obviously, but they don't necessarily seem to favour Indab. So, yeah, there isn't really anyone else now, and we don't we we tried playing trusted up there against Fulham, and it didn't really work. And but yeah, I'm just wondering longer term maybe, and, and yeah, with I mean it's, yeah, and I agree with you, generally, and I think, I just, yeah, it's just that he's missed, like, two or three now that he probably should have scored, and it's, like, if they can find someone who can also, who can do the work that Welbeck does, but also score goals, then obviously, but yeah, no, whether that's Trump too Trump expensive, 20, and we like. are <laughs> getting into the realms of, like, you know, 30, 40 million pounds, and it's obviously
2: not money that we tend to spend, so... This is the Um, thing. You'd have to have a Champions League budget to get that sort of a Champions League type player, which is what we're really describing there. Because I I, I agree with Tom, I think. I mean, it sounds ridiculous. He's not not in there to, to score goals, but it kind of is true. He's it's a subsidiary function of his position on the pitch, which seems an extraordinary thing, but I do think it's the case that he's he's mainly there to draw the space and to create more room for others. I think that was definitely what Graham Potter was trying to do with him earlier in the season. And I don't really see significant change under De so far, Um, but I do think um, he will. I think in a sense, from the finishing point of view, I think he's going through an off-form phase. In terms of the general play, he isn't. And I think later in the season, he probably will go through a goal-scoring phase. On Saturday,
0: he, he actually did struggle a bit. He didn't really get any service, but the, when he did, the ball bounced off him quite a lot. And his yeah, first I was quite heavy. I
2: think literally. this happens when you're getting stifled by a team. It breaks your flow, breaks your yeah. confidence up of it, though, doesn't it? I think everything can then get a bit staccatoed and a little bit fragmented and, you know, things don't quite run for you. And psychologically, that affects just quite how you could address the ball or control it, just a small amount. But that small amount loses you a second, maybe for the next ball. It's all contributory together, isn't it? I think in that, in that regard, it is a tough game, and I really, I'm, I'm just looking forward to seeing how we do in the next two matches. And we'll
0: yeah, yeah next we'll four of the next six game. are all on paper. I know whenever we, mm-hmm. we, we were terrible against Villa, both games last or poor last mm-hmm. year, but four of the next six before the World Cup are winnable. Yeah, um, yeah it'll be interesting to see what he does. Chelsea home even is potentially winnable, although they've done okay last few games with Potter there. uh, Mm. Where, yeah, City obviously isn't. But, well, (laughs) it is winnable, but it's a very unlikely one.
1: It's when you remember that it's the Albion, so we'll lose to Forest and beat City.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would be a classic Albion, wouldn't it? (laughs) Completely awesome. That they
0: mean that Forest are better than City.
2: (laughs) They would claim it. Yeah. A couple of very quick questions, just for the match. Um, on the goal itself, I mean, it was it was an inst- instinctive finish from Kane, wasn't it? Just got his uh, reactive head to the ball. Um, good finish. Could have cleared the corner better, really. I was going to say, defensively, you always say this, when not you, about goals conceded, but, yeah, we could have done more with it. Uh, we don't haven't conceded too many from set, uh, from um, corners, but, um, yeah, on this occasion, a bit disappointing. Um, would you go along with that, Tom?
1: Yeah, I, I think that the defensive line just didn't preempt the second ball coming in. I mean, if you look, we've all stepped up and the Spurs players have kind of stayed in an offside position and waited for us to, to come back. So they're already kind of pushing, um, that. And it was all just a bit too easy, um, <laughs> for it. And it's, it's a frustrating goal to concede. And, you know, every, every team will, will say, oh, it's a bad goal. But um, you know, Spurs are happy um, about it. Harry Kane scored
2: yet again, and yeah. uh, like scoring against us. Well, he likes scoring in general. To be fair, <laughs> um, the other things um, about um, just on the stats as well. Um, interesting to note that we had apparently, um, I think it was six hundred and ninety. Two or 696... No, 694. It was in the middle. I knew it was somewhere there. 694 uh, completed passes in this match, which is an extraordinary number. It's way over 100 more than normal, even when we've been on top of our game in the the recent year or two. Um, Also within that, midfielders, Caicedo, I think, had something like a 93% pass completion rate. I think McAllister had 88%. McAllister also had 104... Completed passes, and I think also uh, something like 130 something touches in uh, in the game as well. So he, I mean, they were they were quite influential, despite the fact that the midfield overawed us. Uh, I think probably further forward, uh, further back, but. Uh, would you say McAllister was man of the match? Because he, he looked it to me. I thought he was still. It's a hard one to call. You could argue Mittimer for his contribution when coming on. Which I I,
0: I'm not sure you can be for such a short time, can you? I, I was it 30
2: say. minutes of you? I, I might
0: have been inclined to go for Duncor Veltman as well. I thought Denry okay. really did pretty well. Um, yeah. yeah, McAllister potentially. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, think the, I think the stats from that are because we're trying to play it around at the back quite a lot. To try yeah. and encourage Tottenham onto us, and also because Tottenham sat so deep, so there was plenty of spaces out, around them.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Tom, what would you, who would you go for for man of the match? It's A difficult one, this one, isn't it? Um, yeah, it, it's really, really tough. No one particularly
1: stood out, to be honest. I, I think you could say any of March, Feltman, Dunk. Um, oh. To be fair, that the the back line did 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 all right, they retained possession well, they worked their well out, they worked their way uh, out of tight space as well. and I think um, you can see that the defense is the area that Zerbies had the most time with, um, especially with the international break because that's the clearest difference so far It's yeah. the amount of passes um across the back um has increased quite substantially um even in these these two games um so i think the it's not that surprising that we we we're, we're passing more than we have been uh, this season uh, on average and i think actually that triangle play between the centre backs and mcallister that probably is one of the contributing factors to uh to the number of passes that they're completing
0: yeah, all of yeah, them. and there was there was already quite a few complaints, we say, <laughs> in the MX on Saturday for his uh, <laughs> tactics and people saying, "Get it forward, get it forward." And there are, and a, uh, it's like, well, you, you need to get used to this. There are some things. I mean, I think McAllister came to the area with someone right of his back, and Sanchez gave him the ball, and it was like, well, you don't want to do that because that's that's mm. probably pushing it too far, giving too much of a risk. Because Sanchez had to get, you just didn't have to give it straight back to Sanchez. There's playing it around and there's, and there's have, taking excessive risks. But, I mean, the fact is we're going to be playing this way while the yeah. Zerbi is here. I don't see any way it's going to change. So yeah. just get used to it. It's a bit like when Poyet was here and people were moaning the first yeah, ball when you were Exactly. Here.
2: I've, I've got no problem with it at all. Bring it on. It is it's going to be moaning, quite nervy but... at
0: times, though, we are, and we are it going to give away goals hurt. with it because it is, quite, by definition, quite a kind of tight... If, if yeah. you want players to come in and pull them in, you've got to leave it quite late to pass the ball and we are going to see goals with it.
2: Yeah we and we will moan it'll, about be, that if it'll be. be more entertaining I'm happy for him to follow his philosophy to the full see how it goes if it if it backfires badly then fine and we you know he's gone but if it if it doesn't, then we're going to see some great football. And I, I think a lot of people were very negative from stuff I've seen on social media, certain podcasts, certain other outlets that I've seen and heard things. I think they're much too much of a downer about it, to be honest. Um, this has. was Spurs, after all, as well. It's not like,
0: the yeah. key is I think once we break the lines, we need to go with it with, with the pace, and that's what I think. Obviously, Spurs were quite good at getting back anyway, and it won't necessarily be the same with Brentford and Forest. Yeah, but the key Base, is we need key. to. Yeah. People will if if we start attacking with pace and having a go at teams in that situation, people will start to see the benefit, even if they're dousing it at first. I think the problem was Saturday. we didn't see the benefit of breaking the line because Spurs got back so quickly and we weren't quite at it in terms of the the quick breaks, and it sounded like we were at Liverpool. So you didn't really get the benefit of it, and people could just see the fact that we gave it away a few times. And but yeah, hopefully in the next couple of games we'll see people will see the benefits as well.
1: It, it's quite nice uh, here in the uh Falmer's favorite word being forward again uh in the in the stands uh always brings a wry smile but i yeah I agree people need to get used to it and the one thing on my mind is uh you know hopefully people do get behind it and it doesn't create that nervy atmosphere at home and we get to a position where it's easier to play away from home again uh like it was kind of last season and the season before because I think we've just turned a corner in terms of our home form and are much better at home now and seem to have that confidence going. And that feeds from the crowd as well. Um, Whereas I think uh, away from home, fans generally are more accepting of that style of play because you're watching it week in, week out. Um, You don't have a month gap because of Premier League scheduling and and whatnot between going to games. And uh, I think it's the way forward it's uh it's definitely exciting. It gets the adrenaline running when uh, when you're going, what the hell are you doing? Um but ultimately exactly. there's more benefits to downfalls.
2: Yeah, and it's the buzz it's the buzz fashion at the moment, isn't it, for for playing this sort of way. And I do think it's gonna reap some rewards, but we'll we'll have to wait and see to what degree. But what you've said there about you nervy know, the attitudes and the crowd getting behind it uh, segues nicely into my final point about Spurs. Uh, well, a couple of points actually um, to do with the crowd situation. I wasn't there, so I've I'm, this is all from secondhand information I've heard. Um, but I understand, first of all, that there were a number of issues with Spurs fans getting tickets in the home ends all over the place. I've heard reports of various kind of... Uh, Confrontational conversations in the north, in the I think in the east, and in the west. Yeah, upper, I mean, and it, in it, ninety nine
0: Spurs fans in the east in front of, in front yeah. of me, but they, yeah. they, they, to be fair, they didn't say anything. But they also didn't say anything in favour of the Albion either. So, yeah. and they also That's, didn't join in in Harry Kane basing, So,
2: yeah, I mean that. That last bit, Peter, I don't have an issue with because if they're just sitting on the hands type of thing, then okay, fine. But if it's people, I was hearing multiple reports of people laughing in the face of the Albion fans as they were sort of like pulling their hair out about you know in the frustration of the game. Um, some people mocking, some openly celebrating. Some did get kicked out. Um, but there's, for example, there's a um, report of uh, someone I know went with his wife and daughter in the 1901 club as a as a random one-off event. There were some Spurs fans in there who were just sort of like celebrating in the faces of Brighton fans, including him and his daughter... Um, and when he it kind of got a little bit tetchy, he eventually the, the guy threatened to um, beat the shit out of him at half time. And why are people like that being allowed in there? Um, I know, I know away fans are allowed in the 1901 areas. I understand that. And that's fine, but you've got to behave respectfully, just as, yeah, in the same way as you're not allowed to wear tops, fine, uh, football tops. That's fine. You know, just follow the rules. If you're going to sit in a home end as an away fan, um, I don't have a, I mean, the club will have, but I won't have a particular objection with that per se, but you have to behave respectfully. And it sounded as if, and I'm not surprised to hear this, knowing what Spurs are like, a sizable number, probably the majority of those, well, it's hard to tell because we won't notice the ones that have been respectful, but a sizable number of Spurs fans were behaving inappropriately. And this has come about, I assume, because the ticket exchange went down to, the sort of levels where people who just live locally or even fairly locally can register as members and then get, you know, final priority level uh, tickets because, of course, the problem was the train strike. Shitloads of people couldn't make the game. And as such, shitloads of tickets went on the ticket exchange. So, I mean, Tom, you, you were nodding away there about all the, um, the incidents that you're hearing about. You're in the North Stand and we've got one. one...
1: Oh, thing. I'm not, actually. I'm in the East Upper, but... Oh,
2: you're um, I you were in the North?
1: All oh, right. No, no, no. I, I know a lot of them in the north and I'm involved with uh NSK and support them but um I I, I chose a little bit of uh, luxury I suppose um for home games so sit and east supper but there was um there was a Spurs fan that enjoyed the Harry Kane goal I'll say behind me. Mm. Um so he, uh, he he jumped up, had a cheer and then very quickly realised that he shouldn't have done that and <laughs> sat down and was uh, on his hands for the rest of the game. Yeah. um cuz i think if he had uh, said something else people would have probably told him to to leave yeah. um but
2: yeah yeah but um as i said it's going to depend i'm sure we'll hear more and more about this later on but yeah I, incidents i've heard about was uh, a punch up in the west upper um i haven't had that substantiated that sort of second hand info but apparently there was a there was a punch up or a set 2 between two or three people Are
0: you just denied uh, it for once you didn't start it?
2: Exactly, yeah, yeah, I just wish i Bloody West Opera, I could have been involved in that. Taking over my turf. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just is frustrating that hmm. tickets um, being
1: sold to away fans, tickets being sold to whoever, you can bring guests under your name for these games, and, you hmm. know, at home games, there's kind of this crazy Western-like attitude towards tickets, and then... You've got all the away fans being vilified because a couple of people have been kicked out that shouldn't have had a ticket, mm. and it just makes a mockery of the whole situation. And for, for for fans, really, when there's such a difference between the way home tickets are treated and away tickets are treated, also mm. like it, it, it's crazy. And I think we'll probably talk about that a bit more, but.
2: Yeah, we'll we'll get onto this a bit more in part two because I'm going to have a rant about away tickets and various other bits. Um, on that score, the only other thing I was going to mention with the Spurs, apart from that issue the away fans and the home ads, was um, in terms of the numbers. Um, I couldn't really substantiate how many people were there. It looked like it was. It wasn't that empty in terms it was of more numbers than I
0: thought it would be. Actually, given the the fact that yeah, they're yeah. all in transport.
2: Yeah. They're all in Tottenham tops, yeah. <laughs> no, well, it's hard to know, isn't it? How many of those um, were Spurs fans? But um yeah, I mean, it seems like they get there, even uh,
0: though they were Spurs fans I mean, Well, exactly know, like, I, I was surprised it was as full
2: well as it was. Yeah, I, I guess lo- there's loads of Spurs fans live locally because they don't want to live in Tottenham, that's for sure. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Um yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean that 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 probably sum that up for that. What about the atmosphere as well? Actually, um, Tom and Pete, but. Well, what, what was it like? Because obviously they we started badly and then went behind. So yeah, started, I thought pre-match and
0: first ten minutes it was good, but then I think mm. the Spurs took control. It kind of quietened and went into, and, and there was a lot of nerves around the kind of the way we were playing to the point where I think at one point Dunkey was kind of like trying to encourage the fans to get behind it and yeah. Yeah, behind it, behind it generally. So I think yeah, it it wasn't a game that inspired a good atmosphere. If I'm honest, mm. there wasn't much that happened to get people off their seats to get people you know, cheery. It was, it was a reason it was last on match of the day. Yeah. It, was, it was pretty boring.
1: Yeah, I think it, it was a typical Falmer atmosphere where I think, unfortunately, the, the atmosphere just thrives off of what's happening on the pitch. And when it's fast, when it's lots of action on the pitch, the atmosphere ramps up and ramps up and you can feel that energy kind of build. Um, and I think that's one thing that we need to get better as as home fans is actually that get behind sing songs support the mm. team in a positive way, regardless of what's happening on the, the pitch. We, we, we feed too much off of what, what that um, performance is like. Whereas at Liverpool, for example, the atmosphere was incredible for 20 minutes. It dipped a little bit after they scored a couple of goals but then picks back up because you get the feeling that we need to do this, yeah. um, and I think that's the same energy that needs to come into, to home games a bit more. I think we've been getting better. Like the Leicester atmosphere was, was brilliant, but again, that's because the performance was good, and yeah. that's where we need to come. I'd also say though, um, I thought bar the the first part of the game where Spurs were on top, their fans were quite quiet as well. So mm. there's not even the energy to feed off between the fans. Um, so it's, uh, it was just, yeah, I think it, it was uh, the right atmosphere for the game because it was just nothing all round, really.
2: Yeah. <laughs> mm. Well, on that note, and we will talk about, um, yeah, the North Stand Collective in parts here as well. Um, we'll break for a half time there. And um, when we come back, yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about away ticketing and a, a quick preview of the Brentford game as well. So stay tuned. So welcome back to part two. Uh, I'm with Peter and Tom Highlands is with us as well. Uh, Welcome back, uh, guys. And well, part two, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, not so much of the the atmosphere at home games in general, because we've just done that, but in terms of um, the NSK. So, Tom, you're a member of NSK. If that's the right expression um part of the collective the ultras group which is situated in the north stand as you've just established in part one you're actually in the east at the, the east upper so you're not actually with them on home match days um but uh essentially they're they're based in that area tell us more about that um are you a member is that the right expression yeah 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 so <laughs> um membership? so yeah um member and
1: just uh supportive of them i think you know, all ultras can have a bad name, especially if you look at ultras groups on the continent. You know, I think the connotations are quite often right wing violence and um kind of a lot of negativity around attitude. But I think with NSK, the thing that I notice and and knowing them that they're, they're some of the nicest people you ever meet, and that the the driving factor the nsk is looking at how we can improve the atmosphere and support for the albion and also raising awareness around things like equality in football and football for all and some of those kind of real important topics um so you know challenging sexism challenging racism challenging homophobia um the things that blight the, the the game um you know i think one of the driving factors is we want people to feel like they can come to a game, whoever they are. We want players to feel like they have our support regardless, um, and want to just improve that experience really. Um, so I think that that's kind of where it, where it comes from. And I think where, where I got involved was, um, I met them on a pre-season tour, uh, in Geneva of all places. Um, so um, just out there as a, I think there's about 200 or 300 Albion fans. So you 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 get talking to people, start to talking to to some of the, the the guys there, and then you just start seeing them at away games. And um, I think the atmosphere that they can create is is good. I think it's it's always been kind of noted by players that that corner of the north stand tends to be quite noisy and i think you know it's trying to spread that and the north Stand at at falmer is notoriously difficult to get one united song across the whole stand because it's it's hard to hear what the other side is doing
2: um this is this is the problem isn't it because there's another faction pretty much under the scoreboard over towards mm -hmm. the east side of the north and yeah, I've been in the north on a number of occasions in the past, not for a while. But um, yeah, it, it, when you're in one of those areas, you can't really hear what you can hear something's going on. But you can't, you've you got no way of picking up what exactly it is. And it's just it, it's not logistically possible. You need to have basically a deeper stand and then have people positioned in certain places within that stand for it to work. You've, you've got the northwest kind of slightly further round as people have joined in. I've noticed there's kind of like another a pocket of people just next to where the ultras themselves are I don't know if they're also now ultras I don't know but um it seems to be spreading a little you've got, you've got the southwest as well where people try, yeah. make, try to make a bit of noise and the west upper does as well but in terms of this organisation of songs you know they're dr- the driving force of most of the new stuff that comes out aren't they in one form or another whether it be inventing it or or yeah, you know, pushing it to to being popular once heard, um, and I know a few of those guys that you've mentioned, including obviously yourself, um, a d- a Big Dan, a Tall Dan, I should say. Uh, I know, and I've I've met Annie a few fair t- few times. so I know them, but um, yeah, seem a good bunch every time. Every time I've chatted with any of them, um, good bunch of people. What, what could they do? What could be done more in terms of the atmosphere? Obviously, safe standing and repositioning re- of fans. Is that was that the way forward? Would people want that?
1: Yeah, so I know that, you know, obviously we'd love to see safe standing come in, um, but the club seem quite anti that in in a lot of the conversations that there's been had um, and there doesn't seem to be the desire from the wider Albion fan base either. Um, to a certain extent, how true that is, I don't really know because I don't think we've ever really been given a chance to really... Put forward our our views on that in a in a in a proper way. I think you you could look at trying to create a singing section like we had a with Dean, like so many other clubs have. I mean, Huddersfield stand out as uh, a club that had a phenomenal uh, atmosphere at, at Premier League games because they had a massive singing section directly next to the away fans.
2: Yeah, um, coincidence that uh, works, does it?
1: I know, and it's things like that. But again, um, you know, I don't think the club will ever uh, look at that all the time that we are selling out uh, games, all the time that season tickets are near sellout because it means displacing people and moving people against their will. And I don't think the club's ever going to really look at that. Other things that you could do is, uh, and a contentious one amongst Albion fans, is look at things like a drum. Um, I think if you look at uh, after after games, we've had um, songs going for an hour after the game because someone's banging on a bin, um, yeah. and it, it it can help keep that timing, keep that kind of atmosphere going, and provide a, a segue into uh, other other songs, um, other other ways. I mean, I think we just need to listen more as well and pick up what songs are starting to take off and join in those. Um, and But that can be difficult to do. Um, but there, there's all sorts of things that, that could be looked at. Um, but I think any one or um, any group that is wanting to try and improve the atmosphere at, at Falmer is, is a real positive. Um, and i think any efforts should should be tried um but you know i think i know you said about songs the songs uh, generally take off at away games first yeah. when you're packed in because that's the easiest way to spread them um in the pubs beforehand um at those games and then try and get it back to to the home uh, home games
2: trains and stations of course as well although in actual fact that that bit can work for home games of course as well the trains and stations in fact when I first picked up the uh, Pride of the South Coast one when it came out I heard that at the station with uh, I noticed Dan and and Annie and that lot were all uh, strolling along driving that along just pushing it pushing it um, sort of on repeat for a bit just to try and get it in people's heads one thing uh, songs that take off, especially new, newer ones, things that haven't been listened to here, um, and I'm, I'm loath to mention you know who, but um, they've kind of tapped into. They've got an ultra section as well, you know the they must not be named lot, and um, but they've tapped into things like Argentinian ultra songs. I noticed uh, none of their stuff's original either, but it's just it's going down a different line. So I mean that that could be one way, and but if you've got a completely different tune, you have to kind of keep pushing it and pushing it till it gets in people's heads. Yeah, just like any song released in the charts, you know, it's not a catchy until you've heard it a couple of times and then start to get addicted to it. It's also simplicity and the ability for it yeah, to keep yeah. going. So
1: if you look at kind of songs that have done well over the last few years, you've got the Basuma Tequila um yeah. song, which apparently is created by Arsenal fans if you yes. believe. Uh, I know just they'd invented that one. Or yeah. They've invented that one despite yeah. us singing it for the last three seasons. <laughs> Um but that's a that's a, to uh, a tune that hadn't really been done on the stands in the league before that.
2: Yeah, surprisingly um, you, actually.
1: Yeah. What You've you also got it? like Kaiseido's song uh that that has taken off well, mm. but again, it's not a common song to be used on the, the terrace in terms of the original. Mm. Um so those songs that people know the rhythm to that it's easy to understand and fun to sing and can be repeated for 45 minutes like it was after the uh, Man United game last season. I think they're the ones that do best because you need to make it accessible for people that are in the West Stand and the East Stand because ultimately to make the most noise in the stadium, you need others to get involved.
2: Yeah, that's it. And um, Southampton away last season with plays Equaliser. That was ridiculous. The... The the volume and the longevity of the the paced song after that game was truly ridiculous. It was great. My throat was in a mess after that. The same with Gross um,
1: against Man United um, on the first day of the season this year. Sometimes Mm. it just takes a moment from a player for something to stick as well. So you can have a song. And we've been trying for, what, five seasons to get a song for Gross and then one that just really was on no one's radar suddenly takes off at Man United when he scores a brace. I mean, yeah. but that's, that's part of football. The, the spontaneity of, of the crowd can be what, what makes it.
2: Yeah. Someone could just think of something on the spot, shouted out a few people nearby think it's funny and good. And then on it goes. Um, I think
1: there there's one element though, that I think we have to be careful of. And I think there's um, a rise in almost uh, negative, Negative songs and um, mm-hmm. songs that are kind of casually sexist or or casually kind of misogynistic mm-hmm. and I think you know it, it would be nice for us to to steer away from that because one they 're easy, but two they don't stand for the values that we do as a city or a, a, a club, and actually we, we don 't want to go down that
2: that road agreed the other the other issue completely. A much less serious level is um, the, the rate of singing is ridiculous, isn't it? We, we, I don't know why we. I, I think it's because I don't think as a city we're sort of known particularly for singers. As such, I know there's a, a number of bands come from Brighton and everything else, but in terms of, I don't know, if, we, if you look at, say, places that have got well-known for their songs like Liverpool, it's a, a city full of people that will sit around at, at, um, in pubs singing, having sing songs. A bit like in Ireland, it's kind of the Irish heritage thing. Yeah. And I think if you've got more natural... Uh, yeah, if you are actually a good singer, that helps, obviously. And if there's enough good singers, that will make the general standard be higher i'm wondering if that's our issue we just seem to sink things out of tune too fast it's 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 just a timing issue
1: no one knows how to keep time or keep a consistent speed and that's where a drum would actually help because it would keep people on time
2: (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna say i'm kind of ambivalent about a drum on the one hand everything about me goes no 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 tim pot, blah 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 all the other stuff on the other hand As you said, I've been at away games. In fact, I've been doing it myself at away games on a number of occasions. And you mentioned banging a bin, actually, at Falmer. I did that once for quite a long time. I think it might have been after the Wigan game. I can't remember now that you were talking about earlier. But, you know, whacking the back of the corrugated iron at uh, Brentford's Old Ground or, you know, some other places that we've been to since. That kind of percussiveness does does kind of keep the, the song in time. So the other side of it is, well, you know, we are so bad with keeping the pace of a song right maybe we it's, we can't be too precious it's just finding a drummer that can keep time as well yeah. but um <laughs> yeah, yeah. He'll probably but I think
1: with, with all of these it's it's about trying things to improve um the atmosphere i think you know the more that we can try the more that we can do the better you know people might not have liked the design of the flag on saturday for example it. but at least they're doing something, at least people are doing something and wanting to try and bring something new to match day. Yeah. And If they can get a process where that can become more common and mm-hmm. other designs can be done and other things can be done to help uh, add to the, the match day experience and, and the atmosphere, then that, that can only be a positive
2: Absolutely. It was just going to come onto that subject, actually, the banner um, or the, the flag. Um, yeah, it's been uh, designed to welcome Deserbi for his first home game, it made, in, made it in time, a bit of crowdfunding involved. As I understand it, We had it was 12 by 9, it was expanded to a 15 to 12 um, ratio with a bit of input from the club. They actually donated towards it to allow it to be a bit bigger and i think it needed to be a bit bigger there's of course the feedback is it should have been even bigger Um, but the point is i think you your point is right though it's not about right that's the flag that's it now and if you don't like the design you're just gonna have to moan about it every week it's not about that this was an initiative just to get the concept of getting flags into the ground properly again apart from the ones at the back of the north um and that's one initiative the club were quite accommodating of it in terms of the concept of it, allowing it, but also putting some money in towards it. Um, it was Clive, uh, with FAB, who's with FAB, actually, the, the, the fan advisory board, who's also now a member of um, Sequels Over London. And he, I think he it was his initiative, but he didn't want it to be just about him and he wouldn't want me to say it was. Um, but it was about, look, let's get something going. I'll put my money in. Anyone else interested? And then, you know, if, if enough people contribute, all, all you need to do is once in a while have a flag, Make a new one. Have more than one. Have several. And um, if you don't like the Derby one, great. Let's get another one. Let's get something else on. Get something that's less sort of manager centric. Maybe get one that's about Sussex. Get another one that's about Brighton the club. Um, one about Brighton the city. Brighton and Hove the city. You know, which yeah, fine. Just chuck loads of stuff in. Have one about Pascal Gross if you you know to go along with the song. It's about yeah, uh, the
1: fun. The fun part is. Um how the club look after it. So um, I I organised the Wembley flag. Yes. Um, So I arranged that with the club, sorted the design and worked with the club to get that um, done. And um, what, we're now, are we four years down the road? Yeah. Nearly? Yeah. Um,
2: Three and a half, isn't
1: it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think about six months after... The club said it was still at Wembley, then uh, somehow come back from Wembley. But no one knows where it is. Yeah. So there's, it, okay. it's, um, you can file it under the Albion Mysteries.
2: <laughs> yes. You know, we had the other flag, didn't we? The one that would do, which got lost. And ultimately, I think it got a bit worse for wear. It was it was very heavy. I think heavier than it might have been for its size. And it was lugged around by usually about six people, and I think the wear and tear just by having to carry something like that around not only is a huge um, it's a huge burden for people to carry, but also um, it was just uh, it was just getting in an a state. And I think it was left out, and by all accounts, it was then either mis- mistaken for or, or presumed to be rubbish to be thrown away, and that was lost that one. But you know, the point is, at home games, a bit like when I've gone to Germany and I've seen ultras ultra culture in in germany and they've got cupboards and storage space and all of the ultras come in they've got a key for the cupboard unlock it get all the stuff out now by all accounts this flag is being stored at the club in a cupboard According to <laughs> that that doesn't necessarily mean it stays <laughs> there we've yeah. uh we've had that issue as well <laughs> oh no really well so, if, if they if the club can actually stay on on tune here and and, and keep that organised properly and allow those things to be stored safely and securely and continuously so, then you have then you can have a real atmosphere. If you see what Newcastle, sorry, um, Saudi FC uh, have done, they've got loads of flags everywhere now uh, pre-match. And then obviously the same with Liverpool, same with all the other clubs that bang out loads of visuals, it gets taken away and put somewhere. You don't plonk it down by your feet, so it's
1: pre-match at Anfield it's the same there's so many flags there's displays but you don't want to become like Liverpool have a great display beforehand sing Sussex by the sea and then be quiet for the 90 minutes
2: no, no. um so it should you be know be an end all. no yeah the vocals are, are the most important bit yeah 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 absolutely yeah agreed um right okay well moving swiftly on then um, anything else in terms of like general news um we'll, we'll come to a rant about tickets in a minute but Uh, general news just quickly fire through a few things um with the economics and the energy crisis as it is mansfield have been trialing 1pm kickoffs to avoid the floodlight uh, costs um whether or not that would be negated by the number of people who then can't arrive so early due to work commitments or travel commitments or whatever else who knows but it's an interesting experiment um there's uh did you hear about the 10-metre controversy at the Ajax, the Arsenal women's game a couple of weeks ago? The goalposts, the, you know, there's the thing about, oh, should they have the goalposts smaller? Well, they actually did have the goalposts smaller. That caused a bit of controversy there. Interesting item on the agenda there. Um, Erling Holland scored again. That's not really news at all, is it? Um, anything else? It's news that you didn't
0: score tonight because you didn't play for City. They, they only drew up um, Copenhagen.
2: Oh, really? That's yeah. the Champions League as well, isn't it? Yeah,
0: so just that's just finished 1-0. And, yeah, Harlan didn't score, but he also didn't play as well. He was on the bench, so...
2: Yeah, that's a really good excuse for not scoring, but...
0: Um, well, some, I mean, some yeah. would say, but, I mean, if he was really committed, he'd have probably scored anyway. Yeah.
2: All he needed to do, really, you've just got to play him for 25 minutes each game, haven't you? i will do the job.
0: <laughs> anyway, I, any other bits? I'm sure they, they won't, but I wish they would rest him against us as well. <laughs> I think...
1: Um, I think just to to raise it you know it's another week with international football at, at Falmer with the Lionesses again yeah. um, and yeah. I think you know it's great that Brighton is being used um and now it's kind of part of the folklore of of women's football and and I hope that actually we can translate that into some of the support for for the Albion women's team I know that season tickets are um, kind of through the roof, even though I haven't received mine yet in the post. Um, but um, yeah. still, but I think, you know, I think it's great to see the women's game being given that positive um, kind of like what there was seventy seven thousand people at Wembley on on Friday um, to watch them beat the USA. I mean, it, it's it's brilliant. It's it's a very different atmosphere, but it's
2: it, it's a real positive environment. Brilliant crowd, brilliant result there. But you're right about the folklore thing because, of course, the Amex's first kind of general folklore outside of the, men's, the Albion men's team uh, was um, obviously that, that Rugby World Cup with the Japan thing and loads of Japanese tourists started coming over. You know, Paul Barber and Paul Camden were saying they were inundated with a load of inquiries and all that sort of thing. So that's one embedded folklore that will be there forever. But what we didn't have was something non-Albion related uh, that was football related. And, of course, we had that with the Euros, With the women's team having that well, those 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 two games phenomenal one one record breaking scoreline and one come from behind victory against a a really good Spain team and uh, both superb uh, events that will indelibly link that England team who are the first to win a major tournament in what was it fifty five years isn't it fifty six years that's going to be there forever now and if we can. Reinforce that folklore. brilliant. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, so, anything else, Peter? Any other general football news? I, I
0: suppose we'll, Wepu. I suppose is what we will probably need to.
2: Yeah, I was going to come on to that next. Yeah, okay. let, let's talk about that next. So, yeah, we've unfortunately uh, not a good week for the Albion, losing the game with Spurs, um, but also, yeah, the the sad news. I think it was yesterday, Monday, yeah. um, where it was announced that Wepu has had to retire from the game. Senior um, men's player for us at the moment. He's been on international duty, but didn't actually get to play. I think he was pretty much taken ill with uh, with something uh, related to the condition as soon as he was over there with uh, with his team, Zambia. Um, um, yeah, he was in hospital. Uh, we haven't really heard anything since, other than just having it described as illness, until yesterday when it was announced it's a heart-related condition. Um, the club put out an announcement. Enoch did himself on social media Uh, And unfortunately, the age of 24, a really promising young player, a joyful, nice guy by the looks of it and everything I've seen, uh, you know, seen or heard from him. Um, Such a tragedy, isn't it?
1: I think that's the biggest thing. Every time he was interviewed, every time he played, he played with a smile on his face. And he just exuded that positivity and I think would have been a well-liked member of the squad he was a talented, talented player. I mean, the goals he scored were, were brilliant, the, the the chances he created. And it, it's just, um, I think the, the, the biggest shame is that we won't ever get to see him in his prime. Um, and that's what's been cut. And, you know, you've also got to remember that it's someone losing their career and how devastating it must be for, for him uh, to have kind of made it to the promised land of, of the Premier League and then a year on um having to to retire completely. I just hope that, you know, the, the, the club are supportive um of him, which no doubt they will be, and and whether there's a potential for him to do some of his coaching badges with us and to support him in in that way as well, so that it's not such a big um hit to to him. Um I think most people would be quite receptive of of that if we did that.
0: Yeah, yeah I, mean, I, th- I think also I really like the way you, the message he put out yesterday as well. It was so positive. It was like you know I dreamed of playing the Premier League and I achieved that dream thanks to thanks to Brighton and the fans and all that sort of thing and all the clubs I played for and it was a really positive message. But he must be uh, gusted. I mean, it's in that Leicester game he was superb and yeah, obviously, obviously including assist as well, um, goal of the season last year. We're going to miss him a lot. I was really hoping he had a bit of an injury hit the season last year where he was out in and out a bit. I was really hoping he'd be one who went and built on it last, next the next season and showed you know, he was a regular in the scene this year. And, yeah, it's gutting for him that he's... he's you know, the, the, just, the one
1: positive, I think, though, is that it's been found now and yeah. that we weren't facing a, a a situation like there was with Ericsson, for example, and and him collapsing on the pitch. Um, I think that's that's something that you have to be grateful for. Yeah. And yes, we we we've lost a good player in our our squad, but uh, ultimately there's some things that are more important than than that.
0: Absolutely, yeah. and it it must be a very serious condition because you know you look at like Goldson, you look at like Ericsson, both have come back and played at very high you know high levels. So for him to have to just straight away, they've not even, you know, they've just done an investigation and within a month he's retired, or well, a few weeks he's retired. So yeah. it must be yeah, really serious and it would have been something that obviously, yeah, could have come at any time. So as you say, it's like, there, football is obviously uh, very important to a lot of people, but it's, yeah, health is much more important to, to everyone, yeah. And it's yeah. just a real shame for him and for the club because he was, he looked a player who could genuinely be, make a big difference for us.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Well said. And yeah, it was a lovely message you put out. Uh, again, yeah, it's clearly was a more serious version of the con- uh, this condition than others have had with theirs. And you just can't take any chances. Nice. I'm sure the decision wasn't taken lightly either. They would have explored every avenue. Well if there was any avenues um and um, and then just made the decision from there. But yeah, it's a shame and it be a bit unlucky for the Albion, because we obviously we had this with Connor Goldson and um then obviously we've had it in Wepu. We were gonna sign a player from somewhere on the continent, were we a year or two ago and he had a heart issue. So I do am hoping this isn't gonna be an ongoing association with the club. Although if it's yeah, a... so, I mean
0: it obviously shows how hard it was to spot this one because the Mino yeah. they spotted and then he went he went somewhere else and then they and then they found that he had to retire. I think, didn't they? It didn't. Yeah. even soon afterwards. So it shows yeah, how hard it was to spot this one that the club didn't pick it up because they've got a good record of picking up that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, but I'm, I'm so glad he, he played so well in his final game, that Leicester yeah. game before uh, obviously the international break came in, and then you know, he played his last game. Yeah, it wasn't uh, Fulham
0: yeah. away, which he got looked a bit lost in through that opposition, wasn't he? Yeah, and he? That's true. He was, yeah. Um, yeah, really good that he was. His last game was that one. Agreed.
2: Yeah. And Tom.
1: Yeah, I, I just think that again, testament to our our medical team as well, because I think they have such a good track record on on picking those up. And it does sound like this was picked up at the earliest opportunity, because I know um, Adam Brett, the uh, head of medical, yeah. said that you know it, there was no signs of it in the medical because mm-hmm. they did all the tests, and the same tests were now showing it. Um, so I think. You know, we're we're very lucky that we have the ability to pick these up, both from a kind of point of view of as a club in terms of taking risks, but also for those players, they know that they will get the best uh, treatment and the best kind of professionals looking after them here.
2: Yeah, it's good. It's another positive for the Albion in terms of, as you said, just uh, showing that we're looking after players and we will treat them correctly and we will do our our very best to discover any issues. There's lots of positives that could be said about the Albion. And, um, yeah, they have handled this very well and thumbs up to them. And especially, yeah, to Enoch for taking it in seemingly good grace. And he said, yeah, he had the dream to play and he he did get to play. He's got that at least, you know, he's made senior football. He's made the Premier League. um, You know, he's had some happy times already that... We cannot, of course, forget that goal at Liverpool. You know, the Eagle, what a great goal that was. I don't care if the sun's in Allison's eyes or not. What a, what a cracker. <laughs> and also the one at Arsenal as well was brilliant. Well, yeah, that was brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it came at, uh, obviously in the right in the middle of a, a peak period for us for uh, wins in North London, which was wonderful. Um, yeah, it's, uh, we he goes with our... Best wishes for whatever he gets up to. He wants to stay in the game. We'll see what, what that involves particularly. I know the poet Zombies, um, pretty gutted as well. He was, he was tweeting about it, wasn't he? Um, if anyone doesn't know who he is, just Google it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, another Zambian national. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a shame. But, yeah, we wish him the best. Um, so, uh, football. Let's get back to the, uh, the next game. Brentford away, Friday night um we did well there last year well we didn't play amazingly well but we did uh did get the result. um are we going to do it again this season i don't know it's a tough one isn't it we've got in terms of the head-to-head the overall historical head-to-head we've won 34 we've drawn 14 and we've lost 28 so fairly even but we've got the edge um i know obviously you're not going to because you're going to be in iceland um maybe up an iceberg with a flag hopefully celebrate if if we win um Peter, you're going, I'm going. I am going, yeah. I missed friend. it last
0: year. I definitely uh, wouldn't miss first, it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, first thing to say, good set of fans. Really lovely bunch of people, from the ones I've met anyway. Um, they've got a good podcast as well um, called uh, Besotted um, with Billy Grant, um, who we've had on before in the past. So I recommend that if you want to get the opposition view. Our views, though, on the game... Are we going to bounce back from the Spurs game? What kind of score, what sort of performances um, do you expect from the players? Who's going to be in the starting 11? What do we think? Pete, well, should we go to you, Peter, first?
0: Um, yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Um, I, what do you get? He'll probably need to give one or two with three games in, what, eight, day, nine days, whatever sort of thing. He'll, he'll probably need to try and switch it around a bit at times. Um, who's that? I mean, Miss Homer's probably the obvious one. I, I would have said Mep- Mepu probably if it if it had been, yeah, yeah. obviously enough if it hadn't been for the announcement this week. Is Lalana fit to start one of the games against Forest or Brentford, An obvious one as well, or Lampy? I don't know. It it felt like off Saturday we maybe needed to fresh, fresh up a little bit because it, it is surprising considering at one point in the possible we seem to change about three or four of our players every game. We've kept, I think we've had thirteen starters this year, and that's all we were saying about the least used players. But I think it's 13 starters. The team that started the weekend, Mwepu and Wepu and Lalana are the only ones who've started games this season, which is very, yeah, very small number. So, yeah, maybe, maybe one or two different, yeah, slight different slight changes. Um, Brentford aren't on great form. They got stuffed by Newcastle at the weekend. So Yeah. yeah, uh, do good or
2: bad, really. But my, yeah, well, my, my little negativity little in that.
0: my mind goes, oh, well, probably means they'll stuff us now or something. <laughs> I've not got over those two 4-0 defeats in a row there over in the early 2000s.
2: Newcastle, annoyingly going well, was it 4-1 at Fulham, 5-1 against... Yeah, I mean, Fulham was down to 10, playing
0: 10 men for 85 minutes, wasn't it, or something. True,
2: True. they're ahead of us annoyingly now, but anyway. um, Yeah, um, I think it's it's a really hard one to call, I haven't really got an idea of how this game's going to go, other than to lazily say, oh, it might be a draw in this one. I want, as I said earlier in the pod, I want four points out of these two games, because we've got some toughies coming up here and there, and I want to keep some momentum going, and I think, Obviously, Roberto hasn't had a win yet, and despite an excellent performance against Liverpool and probably deserving a goalless draw against Spurs, in my opinion. Um, but in this game, yeah, we've, we've got to try and grab the, grab the win. We don't want to put too much pressure on the Forest match. But if, say, for example, we lost to, to Bramford, suddenly there's a bit of a rut potentially developing. Uh, four points out of
0: around the same time we had the rut last year as well, the first exactly
2: yeah, after the same sort of start yeah i i've 've got a feeling this is going to be a draw, I want the win, but I think i've I'll go go for a two-all draw in this one, I think there's going to be goals in it, um I don't think we'll keep them out completely, but I think we'll get back on track to some degree. I think we'll be able to get in behind them a little bit more than we were with Tottenham um but um anything is possible in this match um Brentford are a bit unpredictable for me at the moment, I think.
1: I think that's the key. They they've been inconsistent. That I mean, I think they uh they smashed leads um a few weeks ago, uh got smashed by Newcastle. But I think that the way that they'll come out and play and attack does potentially favour us in the game. I think yeah. we'll be facing a situation more like Liverpool where there's a space in behind for us to exploit and we'll be able to play quicker. Um, i think and and have more space to play in um in in their their half on the on the turnovers at least um so I think you know if if we can start quick, i think if we can get that tempo back in, which i don't see any reason why not, I think we can come away with three points um but
2: equally as with every away game i'd I'd take a point yeah, yeah. um. One person that's going to be in the away end, of course, is Tony Bloom. He doesn't go in the VIP areas for this match. He was at um, Seagulls Ever London this week, by the way. Um, one of the very rare occasions I've had to miss a meeting because I'm was, I was still coming back from Italy. Um, <laughs> it's a bit of a hell of an annoying one to miss, but by all accounts, a very good evening was had by all. Um, yeah, very he's good. He's going to be in the away end. see yes, was there. very
0: interesting, as always.
2: Yeah. I hope he's not coming in on anyone else's ticket. That's all I can say, though. Peter, you're going as... Who, who, whose ticket have you got?
0: Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I've got about three or four different identities to kind of come up with so far. So I need to decide which one's the most realistic and which, yeah. which of my fake IDs works best.
2: And then get coked up on the train and start fighting, get kicked out. Yeah, that seems to be the modus operandi. I mean, I do that
0: anyway, whoever I am, to be honest.
2: <laughs> we, we are moving on to our final subject. As you can probably tell, it's about the away ticket stuff. Now, we've had obviously we've had various issues to do with um, sharing tickets here and there in the Albion in general. A few weeks ago, uh, towards the end of September, it was announced that there was going to be a clampdown on away ticket sharing, which technically shouldn't be happening at all. Um, the issue seems to be centred around a number of dickheads who weren't on their own ticket, causing problems, getting arrested or at least kicked out of the way grounds. Obviously, that then are, are, drew attention to the club. And also, there's been a lot of touting around of tickets that couldn't be used by people that have bought them. Uh, or either couldn't be used or they never intended to. Or or asking for them as well. Asking for them as well, yeah, exactly, which was on social media, again, noticed by the club. Stupidity um, from any of those people concerned is the first thing to say. If if you don't know somebody, you shouldn't be giving or buying tickets from them anyway. That's my opinion on that. However, um, I have objections with the system that's been imposed. Essentially, they're doing spot checks ad hoc, um, which... In itself, shouldn't be an issue if you've got your own ticket. Um, I've got two two issues. One of them, the club will say, isn't an issue because uh, you shouldn't be exchanging tickets. But you could buy tickets in good faith. Um, you could, due to a number of different reasons, not be able to go to a match. Suddenly you've got to work, or there's an illness in the family, or you're ill, or you, COVID, or trains have cancelled, there's a train strike, various... You know, we can list loads of reasons why you might suddenly not be able to go after you've bought the ticket. Now obviously that uh, if you've got a ticket exchange system for the way that's one way of doing things but if you want to give your ticket to someone you can trust who is trustworthy is that really a problem probably not and that isn't really the target of the clubs um uh, new policy but that is what who's going to get caught out I, if people still did it
1: i if, agree there's there there's two elements for me there's that and i think you know we're in a uh, cost of living prices here so yeah. you're saying to people you've got to upfront your 31 pound for the ticket if you can't go you have to lose that 31 pound um, because there is no um right way or, or or legal way or whatever to return the ticket and get a refund yeah. so that seems tone deaf at, at best the second is the insistence on photo id because yeah. not everyone has photo id yeah. So you are discriminating. And, it, you know, a lot of time it, 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 it can be people that are um, on the, the lower side of income that don't have photo ID. They so don't drive and they discriminatory don't go abroad. Policy.
2: Yeah. If you, if you don't drive and you don't go abroad, as you said, that's likely to be describing someone of a lower income. As often as not. Exactly. That's, that's, that's a very good point. And my other issue with it is um, the inconvenience that's going to be caused. So I, I emailed Paul Barber. Uh, Paul Barber forwarded my email on to Jenny Gower, Head of support Services, um, at the time this was announced. Um, the email, by the way, I'll just try and catch where I've got it, um, without going into too much detail. The email essentially came from the club originally, said um, that they um, well basically had a load of incidents, um, and they said, we are therefore advising all supporters in line with our terms and conditions uh, that there will be ad hoc ID checks, starting with our fixture at Brantford. Away tickets will have names and fan numbers written on them, and some tickets will at random be retained and held for collection at away grounds with matching photo ID required for entry, uh, which is essentially what we've just been saying. But um, So that that's what the club said specifically. I sought some clarification because what it didn't say was where you're going to be getting these tickets from. And essentially, Jenny's replied, perfectly reasonable reply, she said she'd just like to provide some context as to why we're putting in ad hoc uh, checks. Then she goes on to mention all the incidents that have been happening. She then says... More and more, we have seen tickets being distributed on message boards and social media, et cetera, et cetera. Again, you know, fair point there. Then she says, with smaller allocations for Fulham, Bournemouth and Brentford, we have seen tickets sell out to top bracket loyalty points holders and not getting as far as all-season ticket holders. This has caused complaints with supporters who have missed out, but seen tickets then being distributed unofficially on social media. So queue jumping elements, you can see their point. That's However, fair.
0: however if you're a 1901 yeah. club, you're exempt from that and you can transfer you. it. Exactly. So what they're saying is you can only do this if you pay enough money to us.
2: So it sounds like the club have turned into the Tory government. <laughs> like yeah. There's one rule for the rich, rich. one rule for the, the poor.
0: The other thing
1: is, how prevalent is it actually? And realistically, is it going to change the chance for the people in the next year down to get a ticket? Because if there's, say... A hundred tickets passed. That's only a hundred tickets that are going to be available in that next year, and they'll be snapped up as soon as they go on sale. Yeah. So yes, you can say that obviously it gives them a chance, but equally, it's it, we're talking about such small numbers here. And at the same time, the only games that it's a problem at is Fulham, Brentford, um, mm-hmm. Bournemouth that have smaller allocations because Wolves, you can still buy an away ticket for. It's also and not difficult to work you can as still well. buy an away ticket for. Arsenal in the Cup, they're actively encouraging you to bring friends that they have no idea who it is. You could bring someone yeah. that was banned um, yeah. because they're not checking who's
2: buying tickets.
0: And the system's also not going to work because it's not going to stop. It's going to stop people maybe buying in advance for other people. But what it won't stop is the people touting their ticket online because they've actually told people who are go- for each game who are going to be... People who need to pick up their ticket have been emailed and not sent their tickets. So once you've been sent your ticket, you know that you, you're, you don't, you're not going to get an ID check. from. What I can no, get. you what might still get an ID check. Might you still? I
2: might still. I hadn't picked that one up. All, all you need to do now is just... If you were going to sell your ticket to someone else and you've been told to it, it's going to be checked, you just don't turn up. And if they say, why didn't you turn up? You'll just say, well, I was ill. Or the train strike or whatever, mm. whatever it is. So you're not going to catch those people you're just going to cause them the inconvenience to not be able to do what they wanted to do but meantime the people that aren't getting checked who might still be blazing and try it, and now know that they're not going to get checked oh, no. they'll go for it because i think right let's take a chance on the ticket price see if we get emailed. now they're not going to get emails and then you know they go great well we can yeah. we can do this now i mean perhaps most sensible people wouldn't want to risk it but they were, the sort of dickheads that get themselves kicked out of great games will risk it. And you can always just
0: say if you've lost your idea or whatever, and then the worst they'll do is just say, well, you can't go in. Yeah. But they won't know that you're not the right person. Yeah. You can just say...
2: Just, just to say the rest of the email, she said, our intention is not to cause inconvenience, and we will try to minimise disruption to supporters. At the Brentford game, we have a dedicated collection point, which is separate to Brentford's ticket offers, and will be staffed by members of the Alvin Supporter Services team we will select a small random number, which obviously has already happened, et cetera, et cetera. She said, we will do this for a manageable number of tickets to try to minimize queues. But she then goes on to say something. I can't find where it is now, but um, something about, Oh, here we are. Arrangements will vary by game, depending on sales, Facilities that are available, and this is where my issue is. My match day, you were saying earlier about Tom about um, socializing is a big part of the day. If I'm going to a, an away game, I do not want to be inconvenienced at all on any occasion by having to break away from friends earlier, go to the ground a bit earlier than they do, try and find a ticket point, which might be the, the normal ticket collection point, wherever it is, at a, at a ground that I'm not familiar with in that respect, only in terms of where the away end is. Um, and then maybe there's some kind of system crash happens, and you've got a whole load of home fans with issues to sort out, and you're queued behind them. You know, are they going to have staff available to do a separate queue for us? No, not. I don't want that inconvenience. It's irritating. It's already annoying enough that you're not sure if you can go to the game because the TV schedules change the train day. Strikes. A train strike suddenly get imposed, which is what happened to all the people that wanted to go to Liverpool. Yeah. Some of whom couldn't. Yeah, my go. My
0: dad didn't go to the game at Liverpool because.
2: Yeah, they he are. Didn't want to
0: drive on his own and, it, yeah. and yeah, if He
2: gave his ticket to someone else and they got caught using it and he was a responsible adult. Your dad gets why is it a 10 match ban?
0: Yeah. Just yeah. to clarify he didn't do that as well. He just his deceit was just unused which apparently yeah, yeah. is what the just club wants. Pen, yeah, yeah. Apparently the club want that, that to happen. So they want the empty tickets in the away end they want they don't want actual supporters to see games and it feels more and more what we're like we're being treated there's a whole thing that Paul Barber once said about being customers rather than supporters. Yeah. It's like, well, we're not because a customer, if they didn't like it, would walk off and support and do go somewhere else. But none of us are going to do that. Yeah. Yes, there might be a few fair uh, people who wouldn't be mine. We're,
2: we might, we're but. exploiting our necessity to carry yeah. on supporting this club, not I to think move think it. Kind of. I think you might be buffering a bit there, Tom. I don't know if I you... Yeah,
1: I think I think this is where the club's gone slightly over the last couple of years with regard to tickets because I think, you know, there was the big issue around home ticket sharing and then they brought in a system and I think that system as well is flawed, massively flawed in terms of the ticket sharing. I don't think there's too much of an issue in paying £20 to have the ability to share your ticket. What I object to is making someone pay £40 to be yes. able to receive it. That's um, not going to sell, no incentive sell to them, is it? There's no Definitely. incentive there to get new people into the Albion. Exactly. And that's what ticket sharing is about. It's getting other people to come to those those games. Um, but I think this is I don't think this is a Paul Barber issue, personally. Um I think Paul Barber doesn't get involved in the nitty gritty of ticketing policy. Um and that I, I think, you know, this is this is led by by the ticketing team and those that have had to deal with these these issues which are unfortunate this year. Um, but my, my personal view is deal with the individuals that are causing the issues. Don't vilify an entire fan base and your most loyal supporters and make them out to be doing something wrong and prove they're innocent.
0: Yeah. She did it's probably p- the 10-match ban... It, it sh- if yeah. they if they enforce that, or or even a longer match ban, if you want to, if people are caught causing trouble on a ro- on someone's tip someone's ticket, who shouldn't, have been, yeah, that
2: would be a longer ban then. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. have, have a twenty what... match ban or something of like that. If you for the, for the season ticket holder, if they're giving a season ticket out, even if they don't know the person, it's, it's their stupidity to doing that.
2: It's a disproportionate amount of for time, isn't it? Yeah. To be banned for, plus the away games, of course, during that period yeah. as well.
0: The, um, the other thing,
1: just to add, is. the the difference between home and away home games, I get to the stadium probably an hour, just over an hour before away games, probably 15 minutes before kickoff on average. And that's the same for most people, I think. So you get the flood of 2000 people say
2: Hmm.
1: 15, 20 minutes before the game, it's going to cause mayhem if they're doing random ID checks. The other thing that I worry about is are they actually going to be random ID checks or are they going to target people that are younger that are dressed a certain way because mm. they think that they're the ones that are troublemakers and pick out those. And I think that that's another um, kind of concern um, yeah. for me on this policy.
2: Quite, well, but, but quite possibly. Um, just one thing that was also in the email from Jenny was that she did say that uh, – yeah. because I asked her about this – and she said um, if, you know, we might look to target people whose behaviour we've noticed as suspicious online, so people where they can identify, I guess – because obviously you don't always know who someone on social media is but wh- wherever they're able to identify this this is a suspicious potentially suspicious um season ticket holder user um they might target them but other than that it's random that's that's what she clarified but ultimately it's, it's too inconvenient there's there's enough inconveniences with going to the games as it is um bollocks to that to be honest if, if that starts becoming a hassle um then that's going to be too much. Brentford, yeah. that probably won't be a problem because they've got the person near the the, the gate. But again, it's it's an extra hassle, it isn't it? It, it could know. be though
0: because people are coming from work. People are working on Friday. Oh, yeah, you know, work I, we're late, lucky really. for Friday because we're coming from London only, and I've got like when I finish work at three or something like that. But I yeah. know people who who you know people will be coming from Brighton after finishing work. Yeah. will be very very tight to get there for the kickoff. Mm. And if they've been picked for that, then you Know they're, they're going to be screwed, it's like we don't, and no one's got any idea how long that queue is going to be. You know, once Friday's over and we see it, even though it's going to be a different time, we'll have a rough idea of how many people might have actually had that come up. Yeah. It's like 20 or 50 or 100, or no one I, really knows the number of people affected, really. Yeah,
2: they've said smallish numbers, but what what does that what does mean? That mean? But yeah. also, I've got a bit of a concern. So, I don't know if it is Paul Barber or the ticket people, whoever it is that's driving this, but I have got a concern with the. That's not. To, this is not for discussion. Element. Um, Fab the fan advisory board were supposedly set up in order to uh, allow a form of communication between the club and a representation of fans. And yet they weren't consulted on this. As I understand it, they were emailed with a heads up saying we're going to be doing this, but they weren't actually consulted about it. Isn't that the whole point of it? Obviously, they don't think this particular issue is. But that is an issue for me because I think this is precisely what the, the yeah. more emotive issues are the ones you need to smooth over with fans and try and find some medium ground, aren't they? The the issues that um, have kind of pushed the club to create that fan
1: advisory board is poor communications with fans and mm. fans getting upset because they're not being communicated to properly. Yeah. And this is a perfect example of it because you could introduce something but not make away fans out to be the root cause and your most loyal fan base out to be villains or breaking rules and have to, to prove themselves otherwise. But I think there's a wider thing with the fan advisory board at the moment where it feels like a bit of lip service. Exactly. And, That's
2: my impression. you know,
1: where, where are the minutes of the meetings? Because surely the fan advisory board... Should yeah. be um, kind of held to account by the fan base because yeah. they're meant to be representing us. But how can they represent us if we don't know what's being spoken about, if we don't know what's actually being discussed at those meetings, and if we can't feed into those
2: discussions? Yeah, Pete, Peter and I are on the committee for Seagulls Over London. There's minutes of every committee meeting we have, there's no real kind of need for it except for the fact that it's the protocol. If we're doing it, why the hell aren't they? Because it's much more people involved in that. Obviously, it's the whole of the fan base, and I think the club are being very kind of shut doored about this. And this, you know, we're not discussing this issue. Same with bottle tops, which has got this mixture of being, always brings a smile. We were both smiling <laughs> on the on the screen. It is ridiculous in one sense, but it's also actually pretty irritating. If you, well, I mean, one example where
0: it was extremely irritating is the Newcastle game because yeah, I was I, I was in the east for the Newcastle game. It was absolutely boiling. You know, it's like the, the one of the days in the year. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very hard to, you know, if you put your water bottle down without any water, without a lid on it, there's a fair chance you'll knock it over and then the water will go all over the place and basically yeah, more, get all more, your bags more, wet and all stuff. But if you hold hazard. it in your hand, if you jump up, then it it's could get it's serious. Well. It actually is potentially causing serious health issues, is um, it? And it's also
2: bank, costing people money because then they're yeah. having to spend money at premium prices to get another bottle of water. The club probably won that. Well, the club will won that. But you don't want that for the, the club, you?
0: I
1: actually managed to get a bottle of 7-Up for someone on uh, on Saturday with a bottle cap on.
2: Oh, <laughs> oh you're, you're going
1: you,
0: to You're in trouble.
1: I, I clarify, it wasn't for me. Yeah, OK, fair
0: enough. Uh, that's the, that's even worse. You're passing it off to someone else and coming a bottle top. Though
2: this is a closed issue. The club will not discuss it with anyone anymore. But the communications is an issue. Tom, you said about communications. The fact that when I read that thing about the ticket, the way tickets, I was fuming because I thought, well, this is going to be a big inconvenience to me socially. Um, actually, it's going to be variable, as she said when, uh, when I emailed so I'm getting a bit of clarification why isn't all of that clarification in the initial email to all members um just to get as much information in there so because my my issue is if it's going to be the ticket office versus outside the turnstile that's a big difference for me personally um yeah because there's a any- difference
0: between having our own yeah defined person for yeah. away fans or having to go and queue with the home yeah. fans as well and
2: so I took the trouble to email, and to be fair, the club do, you know, very good at getting emails back to people. That's fine. But how many people are not emailing? They're just going off into a into a fume about it, and then there's Chinese whispers, and you know, people are inventing new kind of concepts of what they think is going to happen, which then turn into supposed facts, and that's, this is where you end up with a lot of disgruntlement, isn't it?
1: That's the thing, though. I mean, on one hand, you have someone like Paul Barber, who replies at all hours of the day really quickly and engages with fans over emails. And I don't know of any other chief exec of a a Premier League team that is that accessible. That is brilliant, to be fair. And I I think a lot of the time when, when you do get the emails from the club, they are generally quite good when they're that personal element. Yeah. The problem is the mass communication, yeah. and it frustrates the hell out of me because I do communications as a job, and it's not difficult to get right. No. And the club, the club has people in the communications team that were there during the the dark days of Bellotti, Archer, and Stanley. They know what the club's been through. They know what the fans mean to the club and how the fans saved this club. Yet the last few years, there's been a number of things where the fans that save the club are treated with disdain and are a second four. And that's not right. You know, we need to remember our history, uh, you know, enjoy today, enjoy this run. But in 10, 15 years, if we get relegated, you know, away tickets aren't going to be an issue. Bottle yep. tops aren't going to be an issue. All of these things that are made out to be this big evil it's just a flow of, you know, they're, they're the issue now, but at some point in the future, they won't be. And we need yeah. to remember that and remember where we've come from.
0: I, I, I'll i be honest, I, I came as close as I've ever been in the time I had a season tickets into about two thousand about 99 to not having won this season. Last year, I missed quite a few home games for various reasons. And I start, we like me and Russ went to Worthing a few times and I really liked that. And it was actually, I was really tempted to start the the reason i i with my home my with my season ticket is because you can't get away tickets for like london games that sort of thing without it i didn't want to miss out on those but mm. yeah it, uh, the the atmosphere with as um amex year was pretty dreadful a lot of the games were awful the transport was pretty awful generally as well the yeah quite often there were there were issues that every game seemed to have some sort of problem with getting there or get go you know, oh. getting back or something and i felt uh, it, can- Can we just give a
1: shout-out to Avanti Trains and how awful they are for weekend services and how they are making travel to away games the worst? I've never known it to be so difficult to get to away games as this season. And all of these things add up and add up, and I'm sure there are people that are not bothering anymore because it is just too difficult and you have to jump through too many hurdles. And the club need to realise that, you know... People are going to switch off from their product, um, and that's going to have knock-on
2: effects. Yeah, normally the problem the rise, For example, people you guys are... saying it
0: probably isn't problem now, but where, if we did go down or <laughs> something like that, suddenly that drops attendances quite a bit, and the experience is you know more of a problem when you're not in the Premier League anymore.
2: Yeah, more games, more home games, more travel issues, and the train with week games to... as well, <laughs> which has been the, the major yeah. issue in the Championship. These train strikes are disgusting, and in a time when everybody's having to budget, I, I cannot see the justification in them, really, on the grounds. If, if it's a safety issue, that's fine. If it's to do with pay or conditions or pensions, come on, guys. There's people who are losing a lot more money. People are losing money because they're self-employed and can't get from A to B. There's people who are losing money because they rely on clients using the trains. All those people are losing money while they're fighting to get more money, if that's what it's about. I know there's other issues as well. But um,
1: Although I think yeah. a lot of the strikes are about helping the lowest paid in that industry yeah. um, and an industry where they haven't had pay rises in line with the private sector. Yes, there are self-employed people struggling um, yeah. as well. And there's so many industries that are struggling post-COVID and now going into kind of other effects. Hmm. Um, but ultimately, you also have to say that, you know, there's no effort to try and remedy it. And that that's a form. No, no. Well, it and, it, and, and it's just going to carry other... on
0: at this rate. And I think a yeah. big difference now, are post-COVID, and whereas you know, in the old days, it always used to be midweek strikes because people couldn't get to work. That was a major issue. Now, for most people, that's not such a big issue. You're not going to work because they can work from home in a post-COVID world. So, what can they do instead? They take their target weekends and weekends with big events on, with football on, with uh Glastonbury weekend, was targeted yeah. only year and that sort yeah, of. I thing. mean, how,
2: how much money yeah. did Brighton lose in uh, as a city, Brighton and Hove, as a city last weekend alone, for example?
1: And as, as I said, though, like. Avanti it's actually hard to work out if there's a strike or not because the service is so terrible (laughs) post-Covid and they're just trying to use Covid as a as a way to cover up for their failings yet they get another six-month contract and I think across the board the train companies are really really impacting the football experience because they are not running the services that they should be and that's a a, a big issue also the cost I mean I've noticed as going going away uh, from home um, the number of advanced tickets cheap advanced tickets available now they're non-existent yeah. so the the cost of getting to games has more than doubled
0: and you also can't buy them in the Premier League anyway because you don't find out about six weeks in advance when you're actually yeah. going to play anyway so, whereas in the old days in like, League two or whatever, you could buy three months in advance, wait for the train tickets to get second available, and get as cheap a possible you know, option as yeah. possible. i 've been to like Birmingham for like six seven quid return at one point, and that sort of thing now with the premier league with the sky announcements anyway it's about six weeks before normally it's something like that, six, seven weeks, or any cheap tickets there are are aren 't relevant to Premier League fans because there 's no way of getting them anyway
2: I mean, three figures for northern games now
0: yeah,
1: yeah. We, we we did um, before COVID in the Premier League, we did manage to get good deals, but now it's non-existent. And, you know, I want to try and get to games in a more sustainable way, but I'm being forced to drive because there's no other way to get there.
0: Exactly. Which so then takes away the enjoyment anyway, because you can't have a, the same relaxed day with your mates and then yeah. have a few drinks. Yeah. and that's...
1: and And it goes back to this whole point of, you know... This ticket policy that the club have brought in is vilifying the fans that are making sacrifices, and that 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 that's the the big thing in in life that you plan everything around. And you know, I, I'm just fearful that it will turn people off of of mm. off of that, and um, that will just negatively impact the atmosphere that we've talked about. It will negatively impact the the club as a whole, and you know, I. I, I just hope that the club actually listen, but based on recent form in terms of they've yeah. still maintained the home ticket um, ticket swap to a very similar system, I, I just yeah. think it's going to fall on deaf ears.
0: Yeah, they did the kind of we listen thing and offered one free game, didn't they? Which, you know, it, it's, yeah. It, but it's but they're, really... they're
1: ignoring the root cause of
0: the issue, yeah, which is exactly. the person
1: that receives it has to be, a paid member and that's uh the problem they say they need to know who's in the stadium well yeah fine it has to be someone registered on the, yeah, the you
2: can register
0: and pay a minimal admin fee and that sort of yeah. thing but yeah exactly or, it means or, you're or, paying for something twice because you've already paid for your ticket and then you're paying to give it to someone else and, and, and they're paying as well so it's like the club gets yeah, thing, money from yeah, it, it
2: depriving the possibility of new fans uh, in general, and even just on the days that they visit, even if they never come again, they're going to spend some money probably on at least some refreshments, maybe some food. They might buy a programme as it's a one-off in that scenario. Um, You're the, the club are losing some income. Yes, they might be negated by costs of admin a, a bit, but come on, if it's got the potential to have new, member, uh, new fans in, why yeah. not do that? And it's rubbing up the backs of fans... When we're on to such a good thing, when we're so well run as a club, when everything's going so well, we're established in the Premier League, we're playing amazing football, generally the the grounds are full, all of that's great, and yet we've got stuff that we shouldn't need to be complaining about, which we're now complaining about. And the club are rubbing the the fans up the wrong way, as you said. And if they've got any delusion that the majority of fans are not happy with elements of the ticket exchange and and the bottle tops issue, then um, they are well, they are uh, severely deluded because everybody I know is at least mildly irritated at at the very least with, uh, say, this away scheme, for example, that's been introduced.
1: The the other thing that's quite funny
2: with the home
1: one is, um, you know, they they want people to, they want bums on seats, they want people there. The people that are more likely to need to be able to swap tickets are people that live further away. So my mate that I go with, he lives up um, near Stansted in Bishop Stortford, I have others that come down from Newcastle for yeah, for games, way. and from all over. They're not going to make every game yet. These fans that are travelling hundreds of miles for a home game, they can't give their ticket to someone else because you know the, the the likelihood of knowing a My Albion Plus member is reasonably slim. The likelihood of getting someone to sign up to be a My Albion Plus member is even slimmer yet they then also get a letter from the club basically chastising them for not coming to games and saying that they should effectively consider whether they hold a season ticket because they've not been to say 10 games in the season, but you can't have it both ways.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Do they want us in on the seats or not? People are giving the money, um, but uh, you know, paying for a season ticket, they can't come attend on a number of occasions. I've got a friend like that in the Northeast as well. Um, that's fine, but yeah, those seats are going to go empty. Why not allow them to, I know they've got the ticket exchange, but let's face it with all of the issues of trains and various other things, there are going to be more and more occasions when you're not going to resell out um, through the ticket exchange um, for a game like Spurs, which was originally I'm sure a sellout. Uh, it's not going to resell out because there's there's too many variables affecting um, whether or not enough new people who are, just members rather than season ticket holders, would want to come.
1: I think um, of the five or six times I've listed my ticket for resale, it sold once, although that was quite funny because it allowed myself and my mate to realise that we've sat in the wrong seats for the last five years and that (laughs) my my actual season ticket is the one that he sits in and we only found out because he walked up and there was someone sat in his seat and he said, oh, are you in the right place? And he showed him the ticket and he was... So we worked out that we've been sitting in the wrong seats for uh, for the last five years.
2: <laughs> Excellent. Well, that, that's a band there. Right there, Tom. <laughs> right. We'd better wrap it up. It's an epic um, show here. Plenty to discuss and we've got through it all eventually. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you on for your debut, Tom. It's been brilliant. Thank you for joining us. Uh, will you come back on? Oh, absolutely. Excellent. We can have another rant, maybe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. If, if we find out if, uh, if there's something to rant about, then then we're all yeah. good.
2: Excellent. Brilliant. It's really good having you on. So yeah, thank you for joining us. Peter, as always, of course, as well. We are going to do, um, there's quite a bit going on this week. We're going to be doing a, a special with the Dogma Boys, um, meeting up with them in a pub in London on Thursday. So we're going to be uh, doing a little bit of content for that. Probably a match day special for Brentford. If not, it'll be a review afterwards. And uh, we've also got an, our latest non league match day special coming up soon, haven't we, Peter? Um, going down to Hastings for the day. More on that later on to follow. But in the meantime, stand or fall. Up the Albion. Sports Social
0: Podcast Network.
2: Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family